when I imagine the father's disposition toward me, his demeanor toward me, what do I imagine? How is God looking at me? Is he looking at me suspiciously? Is he kind of scowling at me? Is he disappointed in me? And the good news of the gospel is that in Christ, the father sings on me, you know, and, the, and, and that's why we rejoice. Even in our trials, that's why we rejoice. Our trials are not God punishing us. The trials of this life are not God's scowl. They're his love. You're listening to The Chopping Board, a weekly podcast from City Life Church, where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. Good morning, friends. This is Brett Wiley and Andy Atkinson back at the chopping block. Week of May 15. And uh, talking about the second sermon in our First Peter series. We're talking about First Peter 1, uh, verses 3 through 9. And Andy really enjoyed your sermon. Talked about, talked about it with my wife some this week and been reflecting on it, but... You kind of pulled this theme of rejoicing out of that text that 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 Christians are a rejoicing people, and you took that to even mean really we're singing people because one of the main ways we rejoice is by singing under the Lord and about the Lord and reflecting on all those things. You know, you made even the statement that this is unique in some ways amongst world religions that that Christian. That, that singing is central to the Christian faith. Right. Why do you think that's true? Why do you think it's central to our faith? You know, when you read the Bible, like, I mean, we have an entire book of the Bible devoted to songs. Uh-huh. I mean, we have a whole song book in the scriptures, but even like, even predating the Psalms, like you look at um, when God leads well, really, you could go back to the very beginning. When Adam lays eyes on Eve, yeah. he sings. You know, um, When God delivers the people of Israel out of Egypt, the first thing that Moses does is sing. Mm. He leads the people in song. Um, it's interesting even that um, as the people of God are... Um, you know, building the tabernacle and they make this huge collection of, you know, they, they basically say, Hey, everybody bring free will offerings and we're going to use what you bring to, to build the tabernacle. The Holy spirit inspires these artisans to construct the tabernacle, but yeah. you know, they, they celebrate in song. I mean, over and over and over again, the people of God are a singing people. Um, and part of what I, was trying to get at Sunday was like, this is kind of innate to human nature, but it's also the God that we believe in. Yeah. We believe in a singing God. Yeah. Um, one of my um, favorite pictures of, of, of God in the Chronicles of Narnia is when Aslan sings I love that. Yeah. Narnia into existence. Um, it's just such a beautiful picture and idea of, of who God is and what he's like. 
um, we believe in a singing God, and so we're a singing people. And I do think that that's that's unique. Is I certainly not, I'm not saying that we're the only that Christians are the only religion that right. incorporates singing or songs, um, but that it does seem to be central in a way that is not in other religions. Yeah, that's good. Now, it's helpful, and it was good, um, but maybe the turn for people they weren't expecting in point one, right after you say that Christianity is a singing faith, is that um, Peter is talking about here in this section the trials and the suffering that those he was writing to and that even we will face in this life. And in verse 6, he says... um, you rejoice in this. You know, he's already been talking about their sure inheritance. He says, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So you start with singing faith, then you go straight to, and you're going to face suffering. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> Which was a little, probably some, a turn for some people. But, you know, I really uh, appreciated kind of where you went with that. Um, and, and part of what you talked about, you know, even verse seven goes on to so, you know, you know, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, so part of what you talked about um, that's unique about the Christian faith is that uh, our suffering is not pointless. Right. I think even made. The statement uh, I was trying to find earlier, so, so I may butcher it a little bit, but essentially that there's no such thing as pointless suffering for the Christian. Right. Is that correct? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? And then maybe we might flesh it out for someone whose story is hard, right? And experienced some, some painful things in life. Yeah. What, you know, I think one of the things that Peter's doing there is, you know, he's saying you can rejoice in the gospel, like you can rejoice right. in these realities, no matter your circumstances. But then, you know, kind of the second move is to say, but you can even rejoice in those trials themselves because those aren't empty trials. Those aren't meaningless trials that God is actually using those in your life to refine you and to purify you the same way that gold is refined and purified it it goes through this intense process of being heated up to these super high temperatures but what that does is it it burns out all the impurities and in the same way these trials have that refining or purifying Mm -hmm. role in your life and that's preparing you for the day of glory so that you're 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 ready and presentable for that day that god's at work in the midst of of the trials that you're facing. None of them are wasted. This isn't just empty, pointless Mm. suffering. This is meaningful suffering. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe not for all of us, but at least for some of us, we can theologically get there and go, oh yeah, God's sovereign. He's in control. Um, Suffering's a reality of our world. There's all kinds of questions that come up with the problem of evil and other things. But maybe just on a personal level for the person who really does believe Jesus is real and, um, but has a painful story. They've faced trauma in their life. They've faced maybe abuse. I don't know what it might be. 
who hears that comment that there's no pointless suffering for the Christian, and they go, how could there be any point to what happened to me? Right. How, how, how could God be in control and allow something like this to happen to me? What, what's the pastoral word? What's the, what's the, um, the gospel truth, the, the encouragement you might give that person? Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to be clear that what I'm not saying is that we can always, on this side of eternity, mm-hmm. connect those dots. Mm-hmm. You know, we we may live our whole lives and never fully be able to make sense of why something happened or why we had to endure a trial. From from our vantage point, there's a lot that we see in the world, and we go, that makes utterly no sense that just seems like pure evil and it just seems like just complete senseless Mm -hmm. you know awful evil like we we can't connect the dots Mm -hmm. um so i'm not saying that we can always just you know make sense of it all but i think the hope for the believer is that even the things that we look at and go, man, that makes no sense to me. Mm. Um, that somehow, ultimately, God is working even those things uh, together for his His good purposes, both cosmically but also individually. Like in our lives, mysteriously, supernaturally, God is using those things um, for our good. Um, and so there's mystery there. There's an element of faith there where we just have to latch on to that promise. That's a promise um, that we may not feel completely. Right. Um, but we, we grab hold of it and we go, God, you, you assure me that this is true. Um, and sometimes God gives us glimpses down the road and we're able to see maybe how, how that worked in our lives. Yeah. And to your earlier point, you know, you made off air. I mean, the, the, uh, the alternative is maybe even scarier when we think about God not being in control, right. even in the hard things of our life. Like the alternative is is despair, right? right. Well, yeah, you know, the alternative is that at best God is essentially playing, you know, free safety, mm-hmm. and he's trying to keep everything in front of him and – Work it out somehow. Is a football position for our non-athletes <laughs> listening. Uh, Sorry. We'll do our football segment next. A sports analogy. Sorry. <laughs> but essentially trying to keep everything in front of him and, and, and to make it work somehow. Yeah. I mean, that's the alternative, you know. And, you know, the good news of what the scriptures reveal to us is a God who is sovereign and in control and good at the same time. And so... Just because we can't make sense of it doesn't mean that God is unable to. He He is working it out, and um, and yet He's not the committer of evil. And you know yeah. He is He is good, completely, utterly. Um, and so there's even in even in those statements, like there's mystery here um, of how God can be sovereign over even evil, yeah, um, and yet not be the the perpetrator of evil, right? Um, that he's he's using evil for his good purposes, but he's not he's not the enactor of evil. Yeah, the classic verse, Old Testament verse. There is Joseph's statement to his brothers: "What you meant for evil, 
God meant for good, right? God purposed for good. And I think another thing that Peter's doing here, and you've gotten to this, is really pointing to our inheritance in Christ, both both now but also our future inheritance that will be, uh, as he says at the end, uh, the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls that will be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? So, so you know, it's not the perfect answer, and maybe it doesn't always feel, maybe you don't always feel this, but part of the Bible's answer to some of this question is, hey, it won't always be this way. Right. Christ is doing a new thing, and he will come and consummate that new thing, and all evil will be undone. Um, but you get into kind of some of the reason we can rejoice in the midst of our suffering, because we have this secure inheritance. You know, Peter uses these really secure words that it's imperishable, that's undefiled, that it's unfading, that's kept in heaven for you, that's guarded by God's power. Uh, this is this picture of this is impenetrable. It can't be touched by the circumstances you're facing in this life. Um, and you kind of talked a little bit about what that inheritance is, that it's, that it's Christ. And all those things that belong to him. Right. Um, and you made a statement that might be just as hard as the suffering statement. Uh, I think you're quoting Pastor John Stark, who essentially says, hey, in Christ, for the believer, for the Christian, everything true of Jesus is true of you. And everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. And maybe in the same way the suffering question feels like, ah, I don't know. To me, a guy like me, <laughs> who really still struggles with indwelling sin, that statement's like, Really? I mean, maybe I, I can like maybe I'll be like one millionth what Jesus is, what belongs to Jesus. But but everything true of Him is true of me. Can you can you help us believe that today? Like, and help us flesh out why that's true for us. Well, the, you know, ultimately, it's rooted in the doctrine of justification by faith. Yeah, that um, the righteousness that is ours is not on the basis of you know, inherent goodness in us, but it's on the basis of, of Christ's righteousness imputed to us by faith. I remember when I was, I was a teenager, I think at a youth camp and, um, the speaker was, was unpacking this reality and he basically had everybody stand up and he said, um, how many of you think that you're as righteous as, I, he called some random kid out, you know, stay standing, you know. And maybe a few kids sat down, everybody else was still standing. And then he kind of worked his way up. How many of you think you're as righteous as Andy, you know? Or yeah, I, I think I was a leader at this yeah. camp. And several people sat down. And he's like, you know, and he's like, how many of you think you're as righteous as the Apostle Paul? Of course, everybody, but a couple people sit down. How many How many of you think you're as righteous as Jesus? Of course, no, nobody's left standing. And then, you know, kind of the punchline was like, and by faith, when God looks at you, he sees you as righteous as Jesus. Like you are counted as righteous. Yeah. As righteous as Jesus is righteous, God sees you that way. And it was really powerful for me in that moment to think about that. And because that's true, then, you know, everything that's true of Jesus is true of me. I'm as accepted. I'm as loved. I'm as, you know holy as Jesus because his, all of those characteristics of Jesus are imputed to me by faith. 
So Andy, what you're saying to the struggling believer listening today, the, the one who just gave into that sin last week, um, that, that feels weary, you're saying that the words that God spoke, the Father spoke over Jesus when he came out of the water as baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I'm, in whom I'm well pleased. We can actually receive those words as true of ourselves today in Christ. You, you are fully accepted and loved by the Father. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what I was trying to get at in the sermon is like if we really believed that, yeah. like if we, ac- if, if we could actually lay hold of that, like grab that reality, we, we couldn't help but rejoice like that I am loved and I am accepted by the Father. Mm. Um, and everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to me by his resurrection Jesus conquered sin and death. He inherited the world. It's all his. Um, and that I'm a co-heir with Christ. Mm-hmm. Jesus is my brother. And he's the brother. He's he's the antithesis of the older brother in the prodigal son. Yeah. He is the older brother who gladly shares everything that belongs to him with, with us. So maybe the... the even harder work of faith today for most people is not necessarily to remember that they are still wrestling with sin. I think most people feel that, that maybe for the believer in Christ, the harder act of faith is to believe that the father really views you that way. Yeah. And to live into that. I think it's Uh, a healthy diagnostic question to just pause and go, when I imagine God, the father's uh, God is spirit, so he didn't have a face. But when I imagine his dis, his disposition <laughs> toward me, <laughs> when I imagine the Father's disposition toward me, his demeanor toward me, what do I imagine? Right. How is God looking at me? Such an important question. Is he looking at me suspiciously? Is he kind of scowling at me? Is he disappointed in me? And the good news of the gospel is that in Christ, the Father sings over me. Yeah. That's it, so good. You know, and, the, and, and that's why we rejoice. Even in our trials, that's why we rejoice. Our trials are not God punishing us. The trials of this life are not God's scowl. They're his love. The father disciplines the son whom he loves. God is disciplining us, but he is for us. He's with us. Um, We are loved. We're accepted. We've been born again into a living hope, into an inheritance. We can rejoice. That'll preach, man. That'll preach. So maybe as we close, just some practical maybe fleshing out for people of of what this rejoicing looks like. You know, rejoice in this, even though for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials. What are we saying? Like what what does it look like? Help the person who goes, I don't feel like it on a typical Tuesday morning, or I don't feel like it in this season of life, or I just don't know what this looks like. Yep. How, how do we rejoice? How do we sing on a daily basis uh, no matter what we're facing? Um, one of the things that I kind of got at real practically um, at the at the end of my sermon was just don't neglect the gathering of yourselves yeah, together. Yeah, right. You know, um, be disciplined to gather with the saints to rehearse the gospel because mm. um, God's going to warm your heart through that and you're going to be led to rejoice. I think it's Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I mean, here's the psalmist talking to himself. He's telling his soul, bless the Lord, 
And then he says, forget not all of his benefits. And then he just goes on a litany of rehearsing the goodness of God, like all of the benefits that have come to him through God's kindness. And, you know, it is a discipline of our faith to rehearse the mercies of God, to rehearse the benefits of God. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to, we need to remember um, all that God has done for us. We need to remember how he's been faithful in the past. We even need to remember the times where God has pulled back the veil and shown us how the dots connect. And, and we've been able to see, oh, this suffering was for my good. God was refining me in this. We need to rehearse those stories so that when we find ourselves in a situation where we can't see how the dots connect, we go, but I know he's shown himself faithful in the past, and I know that he's at work in this. So I think that's another is just the discipline of remembering um, and rehearsing um, and then just appropriating what is true of us mm-hmm. um, really grabbing hold of that. I think it was uh, Martin Lloyd Jones who said um, the problem with most Christians is that they spend far too much time listening to themselves and not near enough time preaching to themselves. Um, and I think it's so easy to begin to listen to the murmuring voices um, and we need to preach to ourselves. We need to rehearse the gospel. So I think those are some just real practical ways that we can um, rejoice our way forward. Yeah, and good. ultimately, like, um, if we fall into patterns of um, complaining and uh, griping our way through life, like, it's just, it's going to squelch our faith. Uh-huh. Um but as we're able to remember the gospel and rejoice, like that actually fuels our faith. It keeps us trusting. It keeps us plodding forward uh, to the end. We've got to do that yeah. for our faith to persevere. That's good. Well, for whoever, whatever you're facing today or whatever you feel today, if you're in Christ, you have reason to sing. And I'm thankful for that. Really enjoyed the sermon this week, man. Do want to thank our three faithful listeners out there. Uh, I think it's, Melanie Atkinson, Emery Wiley, and Catherine Busick. Uh, we're thankful for you all. But seriously, if you ever have comments or questions about something we talk about on the Chopping Block, we'd love to know. Reach out, email one of us. Uh, if there's something you want us to talk about sometime, let Zach or Andy or Brett know. Thanks for listening. want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.